Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Thank you to an anonymous donor to Midwest Food Bank who paid the sponsorship fee in hopes of spreading awareness. Learn more about this amazing nonprofit organization at MidwestFoodBank.org. I'm excited to welcome back my friend, Elizabeth Dixon. Elizabeth is a corporate executive and serial entrepreneur who connects with executives and their teams, integrating strategy, innovation, leadership, and personal development in speeches that ignite conversation and inspire purposeful action. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. I'm excited to talk about customer experience and be with you today. Well, you were one of our very first guests on the Savvy Sauce, and I'll make sure that I add a link back to your previous episode in our show notes. But in case this is someone's first time meeting you, can you tell us a bit about yourself and a glimpse of your serial entrepreneurial journey so far? I would love to. So my most honorable positions, if you'd call them positions, are being wife to John and mom to David and Ansley, and they're seven and six. And then as my wiring turns out, I love creating new value, value being things that are going to enhance or improve someone's life. I love that. And I didn't realize that that was a part of my wiring. I thought everybody's family was like that. My brothers and my dad, everybody is has that same kind of wiring. My mom does too. And so when I was in college is when I realized it. And basically what happened, it's kind of a longer story, but the short of it is that I was a ballerina growing up and I go off to college and I'm not having my mom's healthy cooking. And I'm like eating tortillas for dinner bad decision turns out. And I'm like, Oh, this freshman 15 they talk about is legit. And I'm not okay with this. And there's nowhere to work out on the campus where I was, except this teeny tiny little fitness center that had all hammer strength equipment. And if you're familiar with fitness center equipment, hammer strength is like the tough, tough boy stuff. It's like the football player stuff. So all the girls were intimidated by it. And I thought, that's crazy. If anybody's like me, they need a place to exercise. And I think for entrepreneurs out there, that's one of the questions. Like, if anybody else feels this pain, and there's a good chance they do. And so what I did at the time, this is before DVDs, I went out and bought a VHS set of Billy Blanks Tybo videos. And I put it in my little combo VHS TV player in my dorm room. And I taught myself how to kickbox. And then I put up flyers on the dorm hall and I said, Hey, you know, want to exercise and stay fit and avoid the freshman 15. And I think the first night we probably had like 10 or 15 girls come. And then the second night we doubled it. And then we were kicking and punching each other. And I mean, y'all, I had a little index card in front taped on the wall that, that told me what combos I was supposed to do. Jab, kick, jab, undercut, whatever it was. So, I mean, nothing fancy, but girls wanted it. And so I went to our SGA president and I said, Hey Clark, we have this wrestling room. Uh, we don't have a wrestling team. So that's funny. 
do we think that I could use the room to teach kickboxing? And he said, sure. And he actually gave me his boom box. That's back in the day before Bluetooth speakers existed. It was the big old school boom box. And I asked myself the question, like, what's the value of this? Pricing is important. If you just give stuff away for free, oftentimes people don't value it with an exception of some circumstances. And so I thought, well, a Coke is a dollar. So let's make it less than a Coke. And so 50 cents was the class entry fee. And we would have about a hundred girls a night come to these classes and it met a felt need that was there. Girls wanted to be able to exercise and in cold weather conditions, outside wasn't an option. And so we had so much fun and I just thought everybody was wired that way. That's just what you do. See a problem and, and you solve it. But I came to find out that like a lot of the listeners, that is not something that everybody is wired with, but the listeners who are listening today probably are wired that way. And so you have that unique gift and skill to build something that doesn't exist to create new value where people have felt needs. And that has been a really fun part of my journey, starting with kickboxing and then working on a new little endeavor right now. And then lots of fun little projects in between. And throughout this whole journey, customer experience has always been valuable to you. So when did that become important? And why do you see it as such a worthwhile priority for anyone who works with customers? Yeah, it it has been central to me. So go back to those kickboxing days of really leaning into what is it that these girls want? What is it that they are going to value? How long should the class be? What types of classes do they want? It was really critically important to me. And then you fast forward to uh, in a season, I led hospitality for Chick-fil-A and to deeply understand the science and art as well as what it was that customers really, really wanted. It's so worthwhile because our organizations, the success of them is determined by our customers. Henry Ford often said, you know, it's not the employer that pays the employee, it's the customer that does. And so if we don't have customers who are satisfied, our organizations are not going to be able to be as successful as they could be. And so putting that customer and putting that customer experience at the center is so important. And you have brands like Amazon who have done that in such innovative ways. You know, Jeff Bezos talks about being customer obsessed and so the more that companies obsess about their customers, the more those customers then in turn obsess back about the companies. And so my experience, whether it's from my own businesses or it's getting to serve and lead strategy for Chick-fil-A, it's the more that we're thinking about what does our customer currently love? What do they not love? What would they change if they could? And What's underlying that desire for change? The more we understand that, listen to that, dig into that, the more we're going to be able to sufficiently serve and satisfy our customers' needs, which ultimately then will make our organizations more successful. But along the way, what I love is it also allows for greater impact. And the more that we can truly understand others' needs and meet those needs, it creates a relationship for impact. And that gets me really excited. 
What are some helpful stories or stats you can share to convince us even further of this vital importance of improving our customer experience? Yeah, well, two that stand out to me. One is that when we think about customers' decisions on if they are going to you know, spend their money, spend their time, make their investments with our organizations, whatever that is, whether that is a chicken sandwich, whether that is a kickboxing class, whether that is a car, anything in between, right? Is that the greatest driver for the decision to come back is based on their feelings. And 90% of your customers are making a decision about your brand, about your organization, based on how they felt the last time they were with you, based on how they felt. Our feelings are a powerful driver for our decision-making. Just notice the next time you ask somebody, hey, do you want to go to this store? And they say, oh, no, definitely not. Ask them why. And the chances are good that they had the last experience they were there was a bad experience and it probably was with a person. It could have been with a process, but it probably was with a person. Oh, I went there and they were so rude. And not that they consciously decide, I'm never going back there. I'm going to write it on my to-do list. Never go back to that store. No, not necessarily. They unconsciously do that because our unconscious decision-making is driven by our feelings and our unconscious decision-making is reigning in our brains 90% of the time. The other one that comes to my mind, Laura, is that 96% of customers say that customer service is important in their choice of loyalty to a brand. And loyalty, I like to think of loyalty as relationship. It's a relationship as a consumer. You go, I can't imagine my life without that organization or without that brand. If as an organization, we can disappear from our customers and from consumers' lives, there's not a relationship there. You could turn that in just from regular relationships, right? The ones that we're really investing in and where we can make an impact are the ones that people couldn't really imagine their life without us. It's the same with organizations. And so 96% of customers say that customer service is that gateway that leads to that relationship. And ultimately, as we'd say in the business world, toward loyalty. And now a brief message from our sponsor. This sponsorship message is unique because an anonymous donor to Midwest Food Bank paid the sponsorship fee in hopes of spreading awareness. Midwest Food Bank works to alleviate hunger and poverty throughout the world by gathering food donations and distributing them to nonprofit agencies and disaster sites. Over $30 million worth of food is distributed to over 2,000 nonprofit organizations each month, over 30% of which was produce or protein. In 2020, over 186,000 family food boxes were distributed to disaster victims. Their volunteers are fundamental to the success of their organization. They collect, sort, pack, and distribute food and disaster relief donations, and remind us every day that Midwest Food Bank's mission could not be achieved without them. Thanks to the generosity of donors, the valuable work of volunteers, and most importantly, the blessings of God, Midwest Food Bank shares the blessings worldwide. 
More than $360 million worth of food was distributed this past year. This is done from their 10 United States and two international locations. To learn more about Midwest Food Bank, to make a donation, or to see what volunteer opportunities are available, please visit them at midwestfoodbank.org. Well, and you're such a popular speaker on this topic, and you teach five elements for exceptional customer experience. Are you willing to share all five of those with us and elaborate on each? I would be honored to, yes. So the first one and most foundational, imagine this as a pyramid and we're starting at the bottom and working up because foundations are important. Uh, the first one is to choose your mindset. You see, our mindset actually precedes our behaviors, which precede our results. So most of the time we like to think about a change in our behavior yields a change in results. Let's talk about health for a second. If I eat less, I will lose weight. Change your behavior, change the result. True story. But there's something powerful that precedes that. And it's our thoughts. It's our mindset. And unless or until we have a change in our thoughts, a change in our mindset about food. It's not going to be a sustainable change. So when we change our mindset and how we think about food, I'm going to eat food to fuel my body. I'm going to make choices that are going to make my body healthier. I ultimately want to be in a place of health where I can play on the floor with my grandkids. And so therefore that is going to change the decisions I make. That mindset, when it precedes the behavior change, it creates more enduring and lasting change. But so often we think about a change in behavior equals a change in result. Oh, we just need to get everybody to do this or say this or always do this. But we have to make sure that we assess the mindset. Do we look at customers as being necessary or are they nuisances? I was in a store two months ago. I was an absolute nuisance to those ladies. I felt it from the second I went in. Eyeballs rolled, cell phones went down, ugh, another customer. When that mindset is prevailing in our organizations, it's a serious problem. So we have to look at those mindsets. As employers, we have to look at the mindsets to say, is my employee, are they assets or liabilities? Because that's going to determine our behaviors of how we treat them. And the decisions that we're going to make, are they going to be more stingy or more generous? It will change based on what your mindset is. So first, foremost, and foundational is choose your mindset. And it is a choice. But the way we choose is we have to first assess and then we need to redefine what do we want our mindset to be and how do we continually reinforce that? The second one is to create your culture. Culture is a major driver of customer experience because the customer will never have a better experience than the employee has. Actually, the customer experience is simply an overflow of the employee experience. I've never seen a disgruntled, angry employee who suddenly perks up like a mother does on Sunday morning at church after getting out of a bickering car, that doesn't happen. They don't perk up when a customer comes. No, instead, when they're disgruntled, they're going to let that overflow. It's happened to all of us when we've been on a call center phone call with someone who doesn't want to be there. So we have to create the culture that we want. And we have to remember that the culture 
uh, for our employees is where it starts. And the customer culture of what they experience will never be better than the employee culture. So choose your mindset, create your culture. The third one is to know your customer. We have to know who we're serving. We have to know who they are, what they want, what they value, what role we play in their life, what role we could play in their life. But know your customer. Without that, we're going to make decisions based on our thoughts, our desires, what we would want. And if we are not serving a customer base that looks, feels, sounds just like us, then we're going to miss the mark. So we have to know our customer. And then our fourth one is to define our differentiator. Where do we stand apart? Where do we show up in the marketplace in a unique way? And how can we over-index on that? And the secret here, Laura, is that so many times our differentiators are things that we take for granted. Oh, everybody's that way. Everybody can do that. No, they can't. Define it. Know what you uniquely and consistently can do and then do it and do it passionately. And it will set you apart from your competition. And then finally, pursue innovation. We have to stay scrappy. Southwest Airlines is one of my favorites when I think about staying scrappy. And their founder, Herb Kelleher, used to always say, we will never rest on our laurels. We're never going to rest and not stay scrappy. A quote one of my former bosses and mentors would often say is that we might be up by 10, but we're going to play like we're down by 20. And so making sure that we stay scrappy, we pursue innovation, we don't get complacent. So many brands and organizations can get weary and can become complacent. They don't, they don't intend that. They never put on their five-year plan. We're going to really pursue excellence. And then in the fifth year, we're just going to really become average. No, they don't set out. We don't set out to become average or become complacent in life. But the thing about innovation is that our culture is changing so quickly around us that if we do not keep up with it, we will become dated. We will become unneeded, unnecessary in our organizations, in what we offer. And uh, Jack Welch, um, business leader in the past, has often said that when the rate of external change, the culture, exceeds the rate of internal change, what your company does and what they offer, then the end is near. And so we have to find this balance of being consistent and true to those values and the core purpose that we have as an organization, the mission that we are setting out for, but the ways that we bring that to life, we have to be so flexible and innovative with. And a thought that might be disruptive for this podcast today, but a thought is, are there really business homicides? Do businesses really kill other businesses or are they more like suicides that we don't stay scrappy and innovative enough that we become outdated? We kind of, we end it ourselves in a way. And you look at some brands of the past that clung to what they always did. And I'll share a few because everybody knows them and it's not speaking poorly of them, but the Sears catalog, you know, the Blackberry Microsoft and Carta, those were things that in a day, they were so fantastic. I mean, I remember getting that Sears catalog and flipping to the Barbie section and circling all of those classic Barbies that I dreamed of getting for Christmas. But that was not the future. The future was e-commerce. 
And that was just something that that organization couldn't catch up with. And then it got too far away from them. BlackBerry always said people want buttons. No, they don't. They wanted an iPhone, it turns out. And you know what? There's something in the future that they want even more and they don't know it yet until an inventor comes along and brings it to them. So staying innovative and staying scrappy is critically important to the health of our organizations. Wow, those are such great principles. And just for the sake of time, let's just choose two of them and dive a little bit deeper. Let's choose specifically knowing our customer and pursuing innovation. So will you unpack a little bit further how we can know our customer more? Yes. Think about who your target customer is. Like put a name to them. Put some facts around them. Who is it that uses your services, who purchases your products disproportionately than anyone else? Who is it that really needs you? That's not to say that you're not going to serve everybody. Absolutely not. But that's to say that you know specifically that customer who cannot live without you, who is going to buy whatever you put out there, who's going to sign up for whatever service you put out there. Who are they? Define them. And then find those people who fit that persona and ask them questions. What do they like about what you provide? What do they not like? What if they had the pin and could make all the decisions for the day in your company, what would they change? What would they do? And learn from them. Listen, don't respond. Don't say, oh, well, this is why we don't do that. No, 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 no. This is all about listening and soaking it in. You don't have to agree with what they say. You are learning. You are in a student posture to learn. And so ask those questions of those people who who fit that target customer or that persona. And if you can't have conversations with them, use social media. There's great outlets on social media, this or that. Who would sign up for this? Tell me what you think about this. Learn from them. Watch the things that they are watching. What do they care about? Send them surveys. Survey Monkey. It's a free resource for some of the initial surveys. Use something like that. Or if you are already a large organization, then it would be listening to the customer monitoring that you currently have. It's really easy to forget that it's happening, that the surveys are out there, that the data is coming in. Mine it. Listen to it. Look for themes in it. Don't make direction based on one person's opinion. Look for those more major themes in a larger organization and dig deep and understand what is it that they mean by this? What is it that they really want in this situation? And then how are we uniquely positioned to offer it to them in a way that will be meaningful in their life. So really knowing who they are, what they like and dislike, and engaging in conversation with people who represent that demographic is critically important. Are there any topics or questions or guests you specifically want us to host this year? We value your input and we would love to hear from you. Email us anytime at info at the or reach out to us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook at The Savvy Sauce. We love connecting with you, so we hope you continue the conversation with us today. And then when it comes to innovation, why do you think we should allocate time and resources to consistently be innovating? Well, 
the you know, former NFL player and coach Lou Holtz has said, if you aren't growing, you're dying. And so when we think about innovation, it's critically important because we don't want to become irrelevant. We don't want to look back and go, what happened to our business that we spent decades building? And now there's no need for it anymore because this organization came along or that company came along and it met the need better, more sufficiently, more efficiently than we did. Uh, one of my mentors, Hort Schultze, he wrote a book two years ago called Excellence Wins. Get it. It's exceptional. But he co-founded the Ritz-Carlton and he redefined the hotel industry. He is an example of innovation. And he knew that there was a way to be more, as he says, more sufficient and efficient than the competition. And so we have to stay innovative to be able to do that. And you'll see it. Think about Carvana. Who likes going and buying a car on a car lot? There's kind of some more negative connotations to that, unfortunately. But Carvana came along and said, yeah, you don't need to do that. You can buy it online and we'll deliver it to your driveway. Whoa. Talk about innovative. A really simple one that I think about is I think a few gas station brands do this now, but I noticed it at racetrack. When I went to fill up the pump, the handle at the pump was really light all of a sudden. And many of the gas stations I go to, it's like a 10 pound pump. And I think, why, why does this handle have to be so heavy? Because inevitably it spills gasoline on my shoes. And so the heaviness is not preventing any problems. Well, they, they recognized that that was a problem. I could have never really articulated that, but they were able to dig deep enough into customer pain points to create some innovation, to make something that was once heavy, lightweight, because it didn't need to be heavy anymore. So from bigger disruptions like a Carvana to smaller ones where you go, oh, wow, thanks. That makes pumping gas a whole lot easier now. It's really important that we stay innovative and scrappy because if we don't, somebody else is. So I think you've convinced us that innovation is important, but then how do we actually do this? Well, we got to figure out what are some of the roadblocks? Why are our customers not wanting to come or what are they negative about in our current experience? And we have to be open to changing those. And here's the reality is that I don't think that people dislike the results of change. They dislike the process of change. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. It's expensive. It costs time. It costs resources. And we have to be in a mindset to recognize that we're willing to make that investment. And that can be difficult for two reasons. One, we might not have the funds available to make the investment necessary compared to our competition. And we've got to get really creative and think about how can we use what differentiates us to still be meaningful and unique in this marketplace if we cannot compete against an organization that might be significantly larger. And then the second thing that's hard about making an investment is that often innovation is important and it's not urgent. When it's on fire and it's to that level of urgency, it's no longer innovation. It means you are about to be flipped upside down by a competitor who was more innovative. Innovation is important, not urgent. It's not the flaming fire. It's when you're going, we could be in a healthier, better 
strengthened position in the next three years if we decide to pursue this bet. It's an investment. It's a bet. And because of that, it often gets dismissed. It often makes us feel uncomfortable because it's not a sure thing. But we got to carve out a percentage of our business budgets to pursue those things that are innovative or we, we will be overcome by competition who are going to put it in front of us. The other thing, you know, in addition to thinking about willingness for change and investment, is just the questions we ask. There is absolutely no expense to this, uh, I guess, except time, but it's not really an expense. It's going to be um, a benefit for you is asking really great questions. The most innovative companies ask more questions than they make statements. The most innovative, interesting people I know ask more questions than they do make statements. And Laura, you definitely fall into that category of the people who are most interested are most interesting because they ask questions and they're learners. And that's what makes you so exceptional at the Savvy Sauce and at this podcast is because you, you're interested and you ask questions. And the same is true as business leaders, we need to ask more questions. We need to think, what would Steve Jobs, you know, who founded Apple, what would he do to make this more seamless? What would a four-year-old see in this opportunity? How would a four-year-old describe this problem? What experiences am I going to do this year that are going to expand my thinking? Or who am I going to spend time with and ask questions of that's going to broaden my perspective. People who have gone before me and people who are are younger than me, people who see life differently than me and having mentors that span that spectrum. And also we can take point of views that we have and then defend the other side. That helps us be more innovative and think more broadly. Take something that we think to be true and then defend it passionately from the other angle. And it helps us expand our thinking and ultimately to be more innovative. Wow. Well, first, thank you so much for your words of encouragement about that. And those are great questions to ask. On this topic of innovation, is there any first step to progress in innovation today? I think start with the questions. I would say ask a new question today of someone and, and do not share your opinion back. Just listen and ask that question to be a student. Put on the student hat more of the time. I think when we stop being a student, we become less effective in life. And so put on that student hat. There's no tests. There's no quizzes. But just sit in that seat of learning and listening and see what happens with our thinking. Because when we talk, we don't learn anything new. But when we get to listen, that's when we really get to learn something new. Well, Elizabeth, is there anything else you want us to know as it applies to business and savvy principles that you've gleaned from others or learned yourself over the years? I think for me, attention that I often exist in is being able to lean into wisdom and then keep moving forward through fear. I think so often as entrepreneurs, it's easy to think, oh, but 
if it really was important, someone would have already invented it. Or, But there's so many big businesses out there. How would mine really exist? Who am I to go and compete in that space? I think it's really easy to let fear overtake and let those what ifs be filled with negative results. Well, what if it doesn't work? And what if, well, what if it does? You know, what if it's a raging success? What if you're able to meet needs for someone and for a group of people that are more effective than anyone else has ever before? What if we filled our what ifs with the positives and not get so sucked down by fear and do all of that while still leaning into wisdom, not putting blinders on and being full of blind spots where we don't see the reality and we're just going to take our idea that everybody is giving us feedback on might not work. We don't want to ignore wisdom, but also we don't want to succumb to fear. Well, you have so much more to offer and share. Where can everybody find and follow you online? Well, I I love to show up a bit on Instagram and LinkedIn. And so at Elizabeth Dixon Speaks for Instagram and then backslash Elizabeth Dixon Speaks for LinkedIn. And then as you could guess, the website is www.elizabethdixonspeaks.com. Wonderful. You make it so easy for us. We will link to all of those in our show notes. And we are called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or insight. And so as my final question for you today, Elizabeth, what is your savvy sauce? When it comes to entrepreneurship, it's not always easy, but it is remembering that never trying is to always fail. And so failing, when you look up the definition, it's to be unsuccessful in achieving one's goals. And when fear, like we just talked about, when we succumb to fear, we are surrendering to failure, basically. And so keep trying and remember that when we never try, it's always to fail. Well, your enthusiasm and your courageous pursuit of bringing these different ideas to life is so contagious. And you just do this incredible job of prioritizing relationships. And in so doing that, your businesses impact people's lives for good. So I'm inspired by you and I always enjoy this time together and just want to say thank you for being my guest. Well, thank you for having me. It's been such an honor and thank you for how you model not only motherhood and being a wife, but helping guide people and equip people with information to improve their lives and to truly help them be more savvy. Oh, thank you, friend. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us, 
so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished, if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.